Jordan Black here. Welcome to Cat Pick Fridays, episode number 27. I'm going to stop messing with the season twos and episode fives or whatever is going on. Episode 27. And once again, I'm joined by Mr. Richard Morgan. Hello. Hello, podcast. <laughs> Are we going to do that now as well? By no, podcast? Hello, please podcast. no. It just, it just happened, <laughs> but it, it's done now. Yes, people listening to us for the first time will go like, what is this? <laughs> Next, right away. Yeah, anyway, uh, first of all, thank you so much for listening and watching. Uh, we're seeing some nice growth with these episodes, which means, I think it means people like them. So thank you for that. And also, I want to remind you that this episode is available both on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I'm pretty sure it's on the Podbean app as well. So you can find us there. And I forgot to mention last time that if there's certain topics you want to dive into right away, uh, there are timestamps both on podcast platforms and also on YouTube. So you can jump to that segment if you're interested in, like if you're really interested in one of the topics we're going to cover. And today, today first of all, we're going to talk about Harley Benton Ailes again, just because... Uh, it has kind of been field tested. Like last week, I presented the guitar because it had just arrived. And now it's been tested out in the real world, sort of speak. So, yeah, going to talk about that a little bit. A uh, bunch of cool gear was released over the past week or so. Bogna Ecstasy Mini Bridge has actually hands on experiences on that. Mm -hmm. Ibanez AZ Essentials, super budget friendly guitars that are also apparently pretty good. Fractal Audio Systems, I think is the official name of the company, has released the FM9, so XFX in a, like a big pedal board thing. Fender has released uh, some information about how in US at least the praise and worship sales are actually like one third of their whole instrument sales, which is crazy. We're going to dive into that. And Herman Lee is teasing uh, possibly a PRS signature guitar. And we are also bringing back a segment that we haven't had for a while. We're bringing back questions and comments because we actually got a really cool comment about a thing that was mentioned in last week's episode. And then there's the Weekend Watch as well, where we dive into crazy, crazy rhythms that kind of made my brain hurt when I tried to think about them. So... <laughs> All of that and more. <laughs> it is time to dive into recent happenings right away. Yeah, recent happening number one is that I have now officially tried the Harlemand and ALS in a live setting, though actually, no, not. <laughs> it wasn't me who tried, like, a worship band that I was uh, one of, well, yeah, my worship band was playing at a church this Sunday, last Sunday, and I was playing acoustic guitar, and my friend Mikko, who I'm going to drop into here so you can see, uh, he asked if he could try the guitar for a couple of songs in our set, and I gotta say, it sounded really good for that kind of stuff as well. Uh, and if you've watched the video Rich put out, like you can do a lot of stuff with it. But like Mikko usually plays his Duesenbeck, which is 
I don't know, 2K plus maybe. Like he, that, that was his dream guitar and he finally got it a couple of years ago. And I think one of his comments was like, it almost doesn't seem fair that you can get this kind of quality with the ALS that is for this kind of money. And yeah, it just sounded really good and stayed in tune, all of those things. So I am really impressed with this thing so far. You know, like I haven't even recorded with it yet. Really, really cool. And yeah, as we mentioned last week, you, Rich, liked it a lot as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this guitar. It looks it looks at home there on, on stage in that image. That's true. You know, it looks like a serious guitar and it's not as huge as you might imagine, you know, because it's halfway between a 335 and a Les Paul. You might expect it to be bigger and chunkier, but it's actually quite... Well, I don't know. Is your friend tall before before we carry uh, on discussing that? He's about that? the same height as I am. So well, I'm 178 centimeters. Okay, yeah. So he's not like a hugely massive guy or anything. So yeah, good size. <laughs> I'm talking about the guitar, of course. <laughs> but yeah, everything I've done with the ALS has been above my expectations for that guitar. Yeah. I mean, I, I always have you know, medium expectations with Harley Benton because I assume it's going to be really good, but with, you know, a caveat to the price and everything. But yeah, the Aeolus steps it up a notch. And yeah, like you said, it's it's built to play on stage because it's got the locking tuners, it's great quality, and it's so, so versatile. And I bet it worked really well for the context that you guys were using it as well. I'm just yeah, guessing from the picture like... as well that he's he's using a bunch of delays and reverbs and stuff, and it's a, a massive wall of sound going on behind you there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, because our setup was, uh, well, me on the acoustic guitar and vocals, then we had a lead sing as well, and we had a bass, like, just a regular bass guitar, and then we had, what, what's it called, cajon? Ca you know, like the boxy drum. A cajon? Someone, put, someone pulled up with their car and it's just going... Yes. Okay. No, you, I cajon. thought you were going there. Yeah. 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 Is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. I say cajon, cajon and people who can pronounce it probably say something like cajon or something like that. You need a bit of phlegm at the back of your throat to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I think Spanish cajon. and Latino <laughs> people can say it a lot better than us because that's presumably where it comes from. Cajon. Uh, yeah, sounds like that. But yeah... yeah. That, and he had like a pro level version, which had like a, there was like some sort of like a bass uh, drum port on it. He had like a proper kick drum and everything. I like went properly mic'd up and we had a great mixing engineer as well. That sounded pretty damn good. So yeah, highly, highly impressed with the ALS. I still think that uh, alpha uh, letter thing on the headstock looks weird. It looks like we just ran out of the ideas what to place here. So yeah, yeah, let's put that one. It will it'll work. Like yeah, you literally can see almost that's... anything would work better than that. Yeah, you can see from the image that it's not consistent with the rest of the guitar's design. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that came on at the last minute when they realized the headstock looked a bit empty and we need to put something on it. Yes. Harley Benton, if you're listening slash watching, uh, I'm willing to design you a new headstock logo for, I don't know, money or... A guitar. Oh, and guitar. <laughs> because I do have a bit of design history. So I'm actually a trained graphic designer, 
which you can obviously tell by these beautiful graphics from Cat Fridays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm being sarcastic here. Yeah, but there's that highly impressive guitar, and I think I'll start working on some sort of review slash demo slash something. I'm not sure what I'm actually going to do with it yet. Let me know if there's something you're interested to hear with this guitar. And yeah, can't wait to see how it behaves when put into a recording situation. So that's really cool. Just a, a question for you about that guitar. Yes. I see that your bandmate has it on the bridge pickup setting, but was that actually the bridge pickup? Because that's the one mistake I, with mine. The, the selector switch was back to front. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I forgot to mention that mine was wired correctly. Okay, so, just me, I guess. Yeah, that, but I that's guess more that proof that yeah, Harley Benton clearly don't check all the guitars that get sent out to people yeah. to make videos with. Because if anybody had put yeah, that the in, thing. they'd have noticed in one second. Yeah, as I did. I'm always trying to remind people of that. Like, uh, there's a strong chance the guitars that are sent to me get checked before they actually get shipped. Yeah. So. To me, probably not. Just out of interest as well on that theme, a number of people have said to me in my YouTube comments, why don't you just um, get a screwdriver and a pair of pliers and turn it round? And I've always said, mm. because this guitar was sent to me by the company, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Where do you stand on that issue? Is it something you would change if the guitar came to you like that, or would you just leave it as it was? Well... I would probably end up tweaking it. I'd probably look inside first and make like just check if it was just like if there's like uh how tight the wires are, so to speak. Like is it easy to turn around? Because if it's like if the wires inside are really, really short and you turn them, you might actually end up breaking the whole thing. Or like the like one of the cables cables might like deattach something like that so i would look yeah. inside first uh also this is going to sound like bragging and i actually don't know about your like guitar repair experience or level of experience but i've actually built a couple of instruments i've serviced a bunch of <clears throat> them as well excuse me and i kind of think i know what i'm doing <laughs> so i wouldn't mind because the reverse switch would drive me crazy that was the point i was going for that that's a long way of saying that but like that reverse switch would drive me crazy so i would probably end up doing something yeah uh, okay i know what you mean i'm coming from it more of like a i guess a moral and philosophical perspective should i have just changed it because i would trust myself to do it if there was enough wire there sure but should i have done it and not mentioned it in the video should i have done it and mentioned it in the video or should i have left it as i did yeah. Or should I have called I would... Harley Benton and said, hey, this is wrong, send me a new one, and then not mentioned <laughs> it or mentioned it? It's a tricky one. Mm. Yeah. I, I, like, I would say I would change it and mention it on the video. That would mm -hmm. be my approach. But, yeah. Luckily, it came uh, the right way, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but th there's that. Uh, let's move on to Bogner Ecstasy Mini. Did I even spell it correctly? I'm not sure. We'll find yes. out soon. You I did. did. Good me. Boom. 
And you have some personal experience on this thing. As we're going to prove, on this video that we're going to play on mute here, look, oh. there is Rich. He's two, two handsome guys can, checking out an amp there. Yeah, there's, there's two riches in this video right now. And <laughs> then there's also Victor, who's a friend of ours from Rescue Studios slash Rescue Gear. And yeah, based on the short video you guys put out, it sounds good. It just sounds really good. Yeah, it's a really good amp. And I was surprised at it a little bit because... The article which you just flashed up very briefly is misleading because the Ecstasy is not just a high-gain amp, you know. It's an extremely yeah. versatile amplifier with a bunch of different channels and options. And most famously, Steve Lukather played one on many, many massive hit recordings. People like Steve Vai have played them as well. Yeah. And most people, like I said, associate Bogner with high gain. But for me, this amp, despite being one channel, is a lot more than that. It does nice cleans, it does light crunches, and it goes all the way through to pretty heavy. But it's also not like, you know, it's not really a, a modern metal amp or anything like that for me. It doesn't mm. do super tight, heavy stuff. But there you go. There's already a bunch of different videos from different people showing it from sort of different angles and perspectives. But yeah, just to talk about this amp, without any other context. It's 300 euros or $330. It's mm. got a 30-watt Class D power amp attached to it. So that's at 16 ohms, and it's going to be pretty loud. You could probably do small shows with it. You could play with a drummer rehearsed for sure. But it has a bunch of different sounds in it, and it sounds great. And yeah, for that price, it's not much more than you would pay for some boutique distortion pedals. Hmm. And this is now added to the Friedman BE Mini range, which we've already seen. And these companies all form part of the Boutique Amp distribution company. And they've recently started a, a customer brand sort of portal for that called MiniAmp. So if you go to miniamp.com, mm. you can see all the brands grouped together. And there is the third one coming, September the 23rd. That one's coming out. And that is going to be a really high gain amp, that one that's coming. I'm not allowed to say what it is yet, but... Yeah, if you Google it, you can see what it is because it's on the internet already anyway. And there's a couple more <laughs> I found out about at 42 Gear Street, which are coming next year, which are going to be really cool. So nice. exciting things coming from the Miniamp company. I mean, obviously, it's all made in China. It couldn't be made in America for that price. But in terms of like, you know, Christmas presents for guitarists or just, you know, another amp option for us. You know, you might say, Vlad, you do a lot of production stuff. I want that Bogner sound in my studio. 300 yep. euros later, you've got one of these and it will absolutely do the job because you can plug it straight into your recording gear as well. No problem. Very, very cool. Yeah, definitely. I like, as you mentioned it, for 30 watts, it's like loud enough for a lot of rehearsals, I, I'm going to say. Uh, I had a question about it that I just forgot, but like... Um, it's just one channel with like few mini switches, right? Yeah, it's got four different switches on it. So it's got the the Variac <laughs> switch, which is you know the Van Halen thing, which sort of yeah cuts the volume a bit, gives you a bit more gain. It's got a gain switch to plus or minus the gain, and it's got a couple of different EQ based switches, which off the top of my head I forget slightly, but the ones are pre EQ I think, and the other one is. 
Uh, it's a mid-boost or cut, the other one. So it's a very, very mm. versatile head. Nice. You know what would be yeah, possibly that- even better would be if they had the option to attach a foot switch to it, so all that stuff was foot switchable. That would be amazing, but I think that's not what this amp is about, you know. It's about yeah, being it was just this about super cool, super they- tiny little thing. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to ask whether you could like foot switch anything. But then again, all of that adds price, size, and so on. And that, as you mentioned, it's kind of... Yeah, exactly. That's kind of not the idea of this thing anyway, so... And yeah, there's even like an effects loop. Really cool. I like this series. Hope hopefully I'll get to try this out. And as in, as you mentioned, like we'll probably end up doing some sort of like uh Christmas shopping list thing later this year. And I could see these being on the list because they're like imagine like getting like a box on Christmas and or like a birthday present or anything like that. My my birthday is in December as well, so like those two kind of always come together. Like Christmas and my birthday, less they're only they're less than two weeks apart. So it's all like my present season is December, and then it's all dark from there for the re- for the next eleven months again. So <laughs> I'm just kidding, but yeah, uh, like that box, and then you get an amp instead of like a pair of socks and something like that's really cool. So. Yeah, and as you mentioned, there's more to come, apparently. Uh, I have my, like, guesses what the next one will probably be, or the next ones, I should say. Okay. Do you want to guess right now? Uh, I'm pretty sure there will be a Soldano one. There just has to be one at some point. They would be stupid not to make one, let's put it that way. And then there will be the Dirty Shirley one because that exists as a pedal as well. And I'm pretty sure that will be an amp that a lot of people will want to get as well. Because these are like, the BE Mini is that kind of high gain, uh, not not like a brown sound, but it's like a Marshall type of thing on like steroids and a lot of steroids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this, yeah, this goes for more like, uh, you know, like maybe in like a Van Halen tone type of thing. So like the Dirty Sheriff would be perfect as the third amp. And then the Soldano as well. And I think there's, I'm going to say somebody from Boutique Amp Distribution might have like a, yeah, at least Wompler has like Soldano pedals already. And because they're kind of putting a lot of the pedal technology into these. That would be my guess. You, by the way, don't have to like tell me whether I'm right or wrong because you might be contractually obligated not to say anything. Yeah, I've just been looking neutrally into the camera while you've been speaking. (laughs) So there you go. But actually thinking about it, Boutique Amp Distribution, they have a bunch of different brands. And you just said something really interesting, that they have lots of different pedal companies too. Imagine if they would start doing this for Wampler pedals. That would be super cool. Yeah. They could actually like, uh, if if we go even further, like not just integrating the drive pedals, but imagine them doing like uh, some sort of like uh, we're going to dive into the worship thing a bit later, like doing like some, some sort of worship amp, which, which would have like a clean channel and a drive channel, and then maybe like a built-in delay type of thing, all in one tiny amp. Yeah, I mean, so in this like video this... that we're looking at now, Victor was playing with the Wampler Ethereal pedal. You can see it just at the mm. side on the on the cap there. 
And that's a very simple, but very, very good sounding ambient delay reverb pedal. Imagine yeah, exactly the kind like of clean platform mini amp with that built in. That would yeah, be pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah. That would be the, really, the options really there cool. are pretty much endless. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited about this range. And also what I'm excited about is the new Ibanez AZ. It's called Ibanez AZ Essentials. Slightly, uh, well, I think I, I think I've seen somewhere where where it's been called AZES, but yeah, basically it's a two hundred and ninety nine dollar range. They are made in Indonesia, and HSS Strat types. There's also like three single coils versions of these guitars. And what's crazy is that it still comes with the Dynamics control circuit. I'm trying, like, it's Dyna-Mix or whatever that is. Like, mm -hmm. Very clever. Naming. <laughs> very, yeah, very clever indeed. <laughs> but, I mean, when you mentioned budget-friendly guitars, was it last week? I think you mentioned last week, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, I, this uh, wasn't, necessarily the company I was thinking of. I was thinking of like, okay, maybe it could be Ibanez, but then I thought more of like maybe Fender. I'm, I don't, don't know if Fender was there or someone else, but I think this makes sense. The AZ range has been very successful for Ibanez and now all of a sudden it's like completely new price range for them. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how these go down because they could blow the beginner's electric guitar kind of genre apart with these because they're priced so well. And the two that I played at 42 Gear Street and did a video on, which you can watch at the link that Vlad's going to put down there, they were so good. I mean, the three mm. single coil version comes in at 299 euros or dollars. And the, the HSS version is 30 euros more, $30 more. And for that price, they're comfortably under Squire Classic Vibes in terms mm. of price point. And the quality of the two that I played was right up there. They, they felt great and they sounded good as well. There will be a couple of yeah. other videos that people can go and watch about these guitars, but I've done a video with Lee Fuge. The, the Welsh YouTuber who's a very, very good strap player and he makes them sound fantastic in the video. And yeah, in terms of specifications too, for the money, you get quite a lot. The interesting thing is that in the article that you're looking at, you've been talking about this Dynamix thing, but that's something that I mm. was not made aware of when we shot the video at 42 Gear oh. Street. But yeah, the main things that we took into account were the fact that you've got a Poplar body, a Jatoba fingerboard which is a downside for me i would prefer to have a rosewood one of course you've got these ibanez own brand essentials pickups all of which sounded very good and what i think is really really cool is the fact that the three single coil version which is the azes 31 has a hardtail bridge and that seems mm. to give it some extra snap and some better sort of tuning stability than the one with the whammy so that's a very, very cool model indeed. And apart from the Squire Bullet Strats, the really, really cheap entry-level ones, you can't really find Strat-type guitars these days with hardtail bridges. So that is a very, very cool thing indeed. Mm. 
Yeah. Looks like they went for like, a, I want to say vintage uh, style, like headstock uh, logo thing. Like it, it still says Ibanez, but it's just like this kind of yellowish, brownish thing. Yeah, I think uh, for, for beginners, it's a Strat. It's Ibanez's take yeah. on that and a more vintage version of a Strat. Yeah. They come in vintage uh, how the kind of finishes by the way? too. Sorry? Uh, how was the neck joint on this? I'm, I don't see any photos from the backside of the, the guitar. The neck joint is really, really good. Um, I wonder if I have a picture of the back of it on my phone. But it's like it's the Ibanez four-bolt one, and you have a bit better fret access than a standard Strat. So it's really, really good. Yeah. Damn, so, but, I, I but is it still like a back plate or like a neck plate? No, there and no then... it's, it's the four big recessed screws. Oh, really? So it's that one? Yeah, I That's don't know what you call impressive. that. Did I take a picture of it? No, I didn't, unfortunately. I only have a picture yeah. of the front. Yeah, well, that should improve the upper fret axis a lot then. I yeah, mean, it especially absolutely for beginners, does. It should make it way more comfortable. Interesting. Yeah, and the, the necks themselves were great as well. So you've got a 25-inch scale length. The frets are medium, ah. so they're slightly smaller frets, easier for beginners to play maybe. The fret ends on the guitars that we had felt great, so that was all good, and the neck profile is like a comfy C-shape, I would call it. Not too thin, not too fat, would work for pretty much everybody. Of course, I'm assuming that the guitars that we had at 42 Gear Street had been set up before they came to us, and that might not be yeah. exactly what you'd get in the box if you just bought one, but they felt very, very good to us, let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I love that hardtail three-single-coil version. It looks and played really, really well. We had the ivory white one, which is the not red one there. And it was a very, very nice guitar indeed. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to see... go and check this out at a local store at some point. This looks cool. Yeah, you, you can also see, by the way, if you look at the scratch plate there, you've got a five-way selector switch, as you would typically get on a Stratocaster-type guitar. But there's also a switch in between the volume and tone controls there, and that is what they call the alter switch, and that changes some of the pickups between series and parallel. So you've effectively got hum cancelling in the SSS guitar. And in the HSS mm. guitar, you can kind of tap and get half of the bridge humbucker on some settings. Anybody watching or listening to this who wants to know exactly what it does, just go to the Ibanez website, check the product page, because they have some nice diagrams that show you exactly what that switch does. But very, very cool indeed. Yeah. And as I said, this is really going to shake things up in the budget guitar end of the music store yeah definitely like even if you compare it to like a squire strat this is more versatile like if you want bunch of sounds like this is basically like doubles the amount of sounds you can get like roughly at least so, yeah uh, and uh, yeah i don't know how cool. genuinely usable the alter switch would be in some settings but it does give you that option and there's not many yeah. In fact, I don't think there's any Squire guitars that would give you that option either. Switches like yeah. that, coil taps or I'm anything. I'm pretty sure there isn't. Not on the basic or classic vibe range, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, as someone who has uh, both demoed the HSS version of the, like, the Japan-made AZ, and then I've owned the two humbucker one myself, like, there's a bunch of sounds to discover from those alter switches, stuff like that. Were they like, all of them were something that I was excited of? Like, no. But uh, it's like, 
they are there if you want them, but you don't have to use them. And like uh, a couple of years ago, we had this big production thing happening around December time, and I had to cover a lot of ground with like from heavy metal to like pop to um, to like some sort of Latin stuff, and I just used my AZ, the two humbucker one, and all the split sounds and everything. Like it got me close enough for those yeah. styles. Yeah, and that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, these are extremely versatile guitars. I'm hopeful that Ibanez are going to send me one to do a proper kind of full length review demo mm. video thingy at some point. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting to know it in my home surroundings as opposed to at 42 Gear Street where you have 20 minutes and you've just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, can't wait to try this out. Also, like, I'm kind of interested in one just as like a mod platform in the future, kind of project type of thing. Could be fun. Yeah, definitely. But moving on to the next one, Fractal Audio Systems. Need to remember to mention audio systems because Fractal Audio, I think, is a different company that does sound isolation or something like that. Anyway, Fractal Audio Systems ups the game with FM9, which is a bigger floor unit, the Axe FX unit that is. Uh, they've had the FM3 for a couple of years, I'm going to say. And mm -hmm. now they came out with FM9, which has three times the foot switches and it's big and more powerful and everything else as well. This is also based on the Axe FX3 technology uh, as are the other two. So the rack unit and then the FM3. And yeah, now there's a dedicated big floor unit as well. Price is... Um, it's not like... All I know, it's not cheap. Uh, $1,600, I think. Uh, but yeah, right now it's $1,600. But I think that was for people who pre-ordered one. And then... Like the actual retail price, not sure. For anyone in Europe, uh, one of the issues I have with all of this is that I think they only sell direct. Or if they don't sell direct, like the prices for EU customers, for example, are way, way higher. There's like import taxes, shipping, all of that. I think this was closer to 2,000 euros or something like that when taking everything together. Because I was actually like kind of interested in this unit. Yeah. And then I started to look at the price. I was like, uh, maybe not. <laughs> so Yeah, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Once you get up yeah. to that price point. I mean, I've heard a lot of good things and I've heard a lot of good sounds from Axe FX. So, oh, like, I'm not saying they're bad. It's just, it's kind of difficult to, like, you cannot try these really. You just have to buy no, one. that's and the thing. You have to buy it blind. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing that kind of annoys me because I'd love to try this out. I've had the Helix. It was decent, but didn't stick with me. And I'm doing so many like different music styles and all of that nowadays that it would be kind of cool to have something like this besides having like a real amp as well for different situations. And yeah, <laughs> this is one that might be too much money for me. Especially like, like my nightmare situation would be where I would get this and then I would just like uh, 
some point realized I still hate browsing through menus to give me physical controls. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you see yourself getting one? No. <laughs> yes, I knew that was the answer, but I wanted to ask anyway. No, I, but, in terms of, you know, personally adding it to my setup, no, it's it's not what I need, but it looks like an amazing sure. device. You know, yeah. I know a few people in my region here who have been really interested in getting the FM3. But also, yeah, with the FM3, I think they waited like at least a year and a half, maybe a couple of years from it being announced and being available in America to actually being available to normal people in Europe. Oh. And so it will be interesting to see how long it takes until people can actually get their hands on the FM9 in the real world. And I'm sure it has amazing effects and can do a lot of stuff. Mm. But it, it, yeah, it's probably just a little bit of overkill for what I need because I don't do that much <laughs> with strange effects. But yeah, in terms of the effects themselves, from my experience, I feel like the XFX, the fractal stuff, is a level above what you get on the Kemper and what you get on you know, the smaller, more budget units like the Helix or like the Head Rush or the Poggo yeah. or whatever. And it's also a step up from the Quad Cortex. So if you're an effects person, if you like modeling and if you love getting involved and making incredibly you know, powerful sounds and saving it all and being able to dive into as many menus as you could ever want ever, then the FM9 is probably mm. the ultimate device for you. Yeah, the cool thing also is that uh, since uh, F FX... Uh, XFX is such an <clears throat> established uh, system already. There's so many tutorial videos, so many presets you can download. Like some artists share the sounds they use live or on their records as well. So like you are like if you're getting one, you are diving into this whole world of like XFX enthusiasts, and they like to share the stuff they've created and stuff like that. So. They do, yeah. It's a very interesting community. Yeah. They're fiercely loyal to the yes, the guy behind <laughs> all the gear. I forget his name off the top of my head, so it's an interesting um, place yeah, to spend too. time. But if you're into it and want to learn stuff, you'll find it all there. But just looking at that article that you're scrolling through, Vlad, if you just go up a little bit again, down a tiny bit, stop. This is the kind of <laughs> sentence which is putting me off. I'll just read the one out which I just saw. The FM9 has the exact same ultra-res cab sim features as the Axe FX3 and is loaded with 2,200 factory cabinets <laughs> with the space to upload a further user-created or third-party 1,024 impulse responses. And that's just something that nice. terrifies <clears throat> me because I know that if I get this device, I will spend hours and hours going through 2,200 separate cabs and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and never actually playing stuff. And then I'll get to impulse responses and I'll go through 1,024 different impulse responses which I've uploaded and I'll find the best one. But then I'll realize that I need to go back through the 2,200 factory cabinets to get the best one to match to my impulse response. So for me, it's a case of option paralysis. A lot of the time, I just yeah. want to plug in and play straight away. Yeah, that's the thing, like... <sighs> yeah. I kind of have this, like, I, kind of, I got excited about this because, as I mentioned, like, something like this would be a really powerful studio tool. And, like, unlike Helixes and stuff, uh, and I know somebody's going to tell me uh, that I'm wrong, but 
I don't see like professional professional musicians recording whole albums on a Helix. I might be wrong, but that's not something I've seen a lot. What I have seen is like a lot of people who are recording albums on an XFX. And as you mentioned, I also feel like them and maybe Quad Cortex, not sure yet, they are fairly new in the game. Like those two are like the on the top of the modeling game. Like those are the only ones where, like when I listen to like a bunch of different YouTube clips, I go like, okay, that actually sounds really good. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're professional so, level tools and I think... Definitely. You know, professionals will have no problem using them. You do see a lot of the more expensive modeler bits of equipment on big stages and in big studios. You know, you see Kempers everywhere. Yeah. You'll see XFX is being used by some of the biggest bands around. And you'll see this FM9 being used by loads of professionals as well. I guess one other thing yeah. that I want to mention is that whenever I've seen, it's normally been post-rock bands that I've seen using XFX stuff. They pretty much always have a laptop on stage with them which is connected mm. to the modeling system. And that's, again, something which, okay, that's great if you want that, but for me, that's too much. Too much for me to be worrying about. <laughs> yep, that's true. I'm a simple man, I think. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned, I'd love to try one out, but I don't know. How, like, Is it possible? Like, their, their distribution model is really weird. Like, I, I, I'm not sure I get it. Like Nam pretty show. much with ev- yeah, that's the thing. If that, yeah, and especially with the kind of chip shortage that's going on in the world right now, thanks to COVID and that one factory burning in China, I think, like, mm. who knows how slow production will be for this one as well. So yeah, exactly. Again, I'm exactly the same as you. I would love to try it, even though I know that I probably would not personally buy it unless I had a studio and thought I could replace many, many other bits of gear with this one thing. Mm. But it's like you say, the, the distribution options in Europe are very limited. There's basically, well, maybe zero dealers. I'm not even sure if they have like one or two people I don't actually think they selling have them. Any, like, and they just have the yeah. distribution company, which is called, is it GS66 or something? And you buy online and, and that's it. And the people yeah. I know who were waiting for the FM3 were ordering from there and waiting a long, long, long time to get their products. Yep. Yep, that's the thing. And it's also like, if I would dive into modeling game, I would kind of be tempted to go for the Quartz Cortex, not only because of the user interface with the touch screen and like rotating foot switches and stuff like that you can use like as controls as well. I think the UI on that is damn cool. But also, it's a Finnish company. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of... Like neural DSP is kind of hiding their finishness, if you will. They don't like advertise Shameful. that in any way. Why yes, are they hiding shame. that? I don't know. I don't know. They got like a bunch of uh, Finland's like top guitar players promoting their products, but they're like kind of hiding the finishness anyway. I, uh, yeah. Maybe that will change at some point. We shall <laughs> see. But yeah. If I get a chance, I'd love to try this out, but I don't see myself ordering one. I mean, with XFX, the thing is like the resale value is high because they're difficult to get in the first place. So if yeah. you manage to get one, like you'll probably have no trouble selling it. But it, 
you, mm. it will be probably difficult to sell it for the full price at least. So you're going to take some sort of hit when doing this. But yeah, if anyone has an FM9 or even FM3, please share your experiences on getting one. Was it smooth? Did it take a long time? Anything like that? Let us know. We would love to hear. Because, yeah, the negative stories about the like delivery issues and such are the only ones I've heard so far. So if you have a different kind of experience, let us know. But yeah, moving on to the next topic, which is Fender sharing some data about how, well, praise and worship music drives about a third of musical instrument sales, says Fender, and this article is on guitar.com. And yeah, this is honestly pretty crazy. One third of all Fender's instrument sales in US and in Australia is just present worship scene. <clears throat> Though I have to say, a friend of mine is making has made a great point on this, and it is that unlike many bands, uh, a lot of these musicians and something that I actually mentioned in, in the article as well, a lot of these musicians have a gig every week or every two weeks, mm-hmm. and. I'm going to say most of your local bands don't have a gig every week or every two weeks, maybe not even every month. And that already creates a lot of um, kind of, I don't know, drive to get better, to get better gear and stuff like that. Because you are playing a lot in front of people, you want to have good gear and stuff like that, so you can focus on actual music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is like, these people are not, uh, like professional musicians in the sense that it's their job. There are some people whose job is to be a praise and worship musicians, sure, but most of them are not. They're people who have day jobs and then they play at their churches, uh, which also means that they have money, <laughs> unlike a lot of the poor musicians who are trying to make it. That's just a reality. And yeah, th- these are two great points that a friend of mine is doing, like, there's the kind of motivation from having from from being actually able to play in front of people and the whole community aspect as well and then the fact that it's not your day job and those people get the income from other sources and then can spend the excess income on stuff like guitar gear mm-hmm. but even with all of that this was still kind of surprising it is a massive number, one third. I don't know how they did the market <coughs> research which gave them those bits of information, but one third of all the instruments sold, that is a, an absolutely massive number. I remember that it's not too long ago that we discussed Sweetwater also having a massive focus on yep. worship music and a whole department that's dedicated to it, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's clearly a big thing. Uh, that's great for the industry, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I've yeah, been then... around in California a bit at the NAM show, and the, the church scene there is is huge. And mm. you can see it on a weekend when you when you go near to a church, as I have done a couple of times. It's a massive, massive scene indeed. And yeah, the people who 
play music in that genre, as you've said, are generally people who they have professional jobs elsewhere and they mm. like to spend a lot of money on gear. And gear is also very important to that worship scene as well. As we've discussed in the past, you know, there are certain brands which are deeply in some way associated with it, sometimes because of the brand themselves and sometimes just because that brand seems to be very much the right thing for people playing this kind of music because worship music is mm. often a certain kind of sound. So for example, Strymon yep. pedals are very tightly aligned with it and JHS pedals seem to be the overdrive pedal of choice. They don't like cheap gear, most worship people. Well, they probably do, but they like <laughs> to go for boutique sort of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that also, I think, uh, comes with the fact that because it's not their day job and you're kind of spending the excess money for something that, I guess, there's also the aspect of like, you investing in proper gear and everything means you're not only investing in your like guitar rig, but you're kind of investing in in the quality of kind of music you're presenting to the community type of thing. As well, like and this whole kind of mindset of like doing your best type of thing as well. And yeah, this I think what they also mentioned is they bring out a great point in this article that. Like the genre players share a keen focus on guitar gear with YouTube home to many rig-run videos from Prez and worship guitarists whose pedal boards are often dotted with ambient reverbs, digital delays, and low-gain overdrives. Yep. <laughs> yep, there you I go. Agree. Yeah, there's a, like, I think it's called Worship Tutorials. It's it's a gigantic channel of 500,000 subscribers. Might be more even now. Not sure. I've I've seen a few of their videos and like they share Helix patches and all kinds of stuff there. And like the production quality on those videos is great as well. And yeah, I bet, I bet they're buying an FM nine. So I bet there will be some interesting <laughs> worship tones and uh, user presets coming out of that channel soon. Might be, though I'm guessing like Helix is probably the biggest one right now in that community. This, I'm just guessing I have absolutely no data back this up i'm just guessing because it's more affordable and especially like hx stomp presets are probably flying off the shelves yeah i'm actually, sure they I are remember seeing, yeah actually i remember seeing there was how many they saw like uh, that worship tutorial uh, channel i think they sell like helix presets what was the number it was like just absolutely ridiculous number like i think they sold like hundred thousand Helix Stomp presets or something like that. They sell them for like a hundred thousand, two, three, four, five dollars, something like that. Like some sort of preset pack. I think they sold, sold like hundred thousand or something. <laughs> wow, that is that's a huge number. But you know, if yep. one in three of every electric guitar that's getting sold might be getting involved in making that kind of music, then there's people out there who want these presets. Very yes, interesting. One of three musicians wants <laughs> Helix Stomp preset. <laughs> could be true, actually. <laughs> I'm not joking, but it it actually could be kind of true. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, thanks to Fender for sharing this. This is really interesting. Like, uh, also something that the article mentions is that this uh, kind of applies to US and Australia, and for example, in Europe, it's not the same. Like, I don't. Europe doesn't have some similar kind of kind of worship culture going on here or anything like that so yeah this is pretty much for us and and australia 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, those kinds of scenes are getting bigger in Europe, I think, but mm. my previous industry work that involved church and religious stuff was always in the pro audio side because mm. obviously, you know, churches and houses of worship, they need PA systems. So I've done a lot of stuff in that regard sure. before, but I've never really done anything with any European worship bands, I don't think. But I expect that to change in the future. Yep. Yep. Interesting read. I'm going to drop a link to this article in the show notes, as always. And moving on to Rich's favorite band, Dragon Force. Because How did you know? Lee, yeah, they are. <laughs> you're like, you can you could just immediately tell. Like the first time I saw you at GitCon 2020, I was like, yeah, that, that guy's into Dragon Force. That's a Dragon Force fan. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Heavenly is teasing a possible uh, Pira's signature guitar, which would be quite a steal because he's been a very well-known Ibanez artist for, well, as long as I remember. Yeah. So. He has. That would be something like, and in the picture, you can see in this article, there's definitely like this pink PRS. And yeah, there's been interesting shifts in like signature artists thing. Like Gibson is all of the sudden like getting a lot of people on board. And so seems PRS as well. Like, well, they got John Mayer, which was the biggest one, I guess, but then some other, like, um, Mark Lettieri is there now. Mm -hmm. Who else am I forgetting who also got a signature guitar not that long ago from PRS? Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure I would buy this guitar, though, but for Herman Lee, I think it looks cool. Is there any other model of PRS guitar that has that body shape, or is that also... A custom one for him. I mean, I kind of recognize the PRS shape, but mm. the, the lower horn is changed. The upper horn is much more kind of pronounced and longer. The body looks shorter mm. and fatter. Is that a unique PRS to your knowledge, or is there another, uh, or has like there been another another series that had that shape? No, to me, it looks like a new body design. Ah, there's no, no more photos fine. than this one. Yeah, mm. this this looks like a they've created original one but then again it seems like PRS is willing to do that well first of all with the Silver Sky then the Mark Lettieri one is also like I think it's a original body design it's also a little bit different and again who am I forgetting who also got a signature guitar from PRS recently but yeah I think that person also had like a slightly unique body design which I think is cool like it makes it more unique and maybe even like more desirable if you just take like a regular custom 24 and slap Herman Lee's name on it, I don't think it will sell. But if you make it something different, uh, then maybe. Do you think they are planning to sell this one as a signature model? Absolutely no idea. Well, and even like whether this is a teaser for an upcoming signature guitar or just something that Herman Lee decided to order just for fun, not sure. He is like a very big Twitch presence, that I know. Like he and the whole band, like they spent the whole COVID time just kind of growing the Twitch audience. And I've watched some of their videos. They got a lot of very well-known guests and they do like collaborative songs on the 
Twitch channel and yeah, all kinds of stuff. So like if I'm PRS and I'm getting Herman Lee to sign up for a signature model, that's a win. Yeah, I reckon they've just built him a crazy custom guitar. Could and, be. you know, depending on what the feedback is going to be, you know, how many people they get calling them, asking them to buy one, they might consider building it. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah, it probably won't have an Ibanez uh, locking tremolo system on it if they build a PRS version of it. Mm. And I don't know. It's it's such a unique color design with the rainbow pickup covers and the, the pink, purple, flame maple burst on it and the body shape that they would probably have to tone it down a little bit for slightly more mass <laughs> consumption, I feel. Yeah, might be. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out on this one. This is interesting. And we'll see. <laughs> Again, I don't know if I would buy one, but... I, I don't know if... Uh, or like, if this actually happens, I think it would be a big win for PRS. I don't know how, like, how many, uh, like, Herman Lee signature Ibanezes have been sold... But I'm pretty sure, like, him playing Ibanez has driven people to just Ibanez guitars, and same could happen with PRS, especially now that they have, like, like the, what's the, oh, PRS SE models. Like, that whole yes. range is really well established. They're pretty budget-friendly, while also being, like, really good quality instruments. Like, yeah. Absolutely, and think about, PRS, getting someone like Herman Lee on board. How many other power metal guitar players do you see playing PRS guitars? Yeah. For me, he would probably like... be pretty much the first, and that would open up that whole kind of genre of music and musicians to the PRS brand. So mm. if it does happen, I think it would be a win-win in, in many ways. Maybe not for Definitely. Ibanez. I don't know if they would want to work simultaneously, if that would mean an end to his relationship with Ibanez. Or if he could do them both, will be interesting to follow this yeah. story. I think. Yeah, that's true. And like uh, th that was a good point as well because we've seen now that, like, uh, for example, Kirk Hammett went to Gibson all of a sudden, yet he still stays with ESP. And I think, uh, no, James Hetfield hasn't joined Gibson yet, at least. But <laughs> <laughs> kind of feel that might be coming, based on everything what's happening. So we'll see. We'll see. And I think now. It's time to bring back a segment that's been missing for a little while. And I'm going to click all the buttons to get all this right. We got a bunch of cool questions and comments, and I think it's time to dive into those next. Questions and comments. Kaboom! The first question we got, uh, or oh, a comment. We got a great comment about the Headrush uh, MX-5 that we talked about last week. And what we talked about last week was like, it looks good, like specs-wise and everything. Like it could be an amazing unit, like touchscreen display and all of that, but it just didn't sound good in the demos we watched online. And David Woods actually commented on, yes, on our previous show. And he said that, and I quote, 
I totally agree with your assessment on the MX-5 tones. Having just purchased one, I find I'm having trouble getting rid of the dig digital high shrill. I do believe it's in the cab models and possibly even IRs it ships with. Third-party IRs may be a necessity with this unit. I'm trying to, to decide if I want to hang in with it or swap it for a Core 1000. That's Bo Boss Core 1000, I think. Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with my boss stuff sounding bad ever. Maybe a bit generic, but never bad. I do, however, like the MX-5 touchscreen, the stereo effects loop, the ability to run dual amps and cabinets, something the Pod Go can't do. I also like the compact size. Yep, 95% of the demos sound downright uninspiring. Beatthorn's video is probably mm -hmm. top of the list for checking out. And he also mentions that Beathorn manages to make everything sound good. <laughs> and then David asks at the end, did I just buy a $400 paperweight? Uh, <laughs> Interesting I question. Really yes, I really appreciate your honesty, first of all. like uh, Because one of the things like people do, and that this is like almost like scientifically proven, a lot of people watch gear demos to justify the purchase they had just made. Yes, so like they do. make it make themselves feel like okay, yes, I made the right choice. And when somebody else criticizes what you just bought, uh, people people tend to leave some angry comments. <laughs> and I really appreciate that you decided to be honest and shared your experiences with us. So, yeah, I guess we were right, which makes me a bit sad because I'm actually like interested in that unit. Yeah, I mean, what David wrote is basically exactly the same as what you said based on watching the videos, based on what you'd heard. You know, David yeah. describes the good bits, you know, the, the touch screen being great, the stereo effects loop, the dual amps, cabs options, the sizing. But he's struggling with the sounds, which yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, are the most important thing. If it doesn't sound good, What's the point? You got a great touch screen, <laughs> yeah. but what was the phrase we used last week? You can't polish a turd in that sense. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> the good thing is he didn't just buy a four hundred dollar paperweight because I'm sure it can be tweaked to sound better if he wants to, and of course mm. he can return it or swap it out for something else if he yeah. wants to, but it's a shame. I need to watch the Pete Thorne demo because I do agree that everything Pete Thorne plays sounds absolutely fantastic, but it will be interesting to see how he's got it to sound better than everybody else. Does he disclose yeah. how much post-production he does to sounds? Uh, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He, and he, he also Did you tell me last week that he also used external IRs or cab sims when demoing I think this he used, device? Yeah, I think he used external IRs for every single guitar track he did in that video. Yeah, so there we go. It seems like, yeah. again, we, we both haven't played this MX-5 yet, but it seems like an open and shut case. That's that's what the issue is going to be. It's a real shame. Yeah. What would you recommend yeah, that think, David does? Um, I think I would swap it. Because, I mean, yeah, there's the thing where... It, well, honestly, like, it's not too difficult to try like different IRs there you can get a bunch of decent IRs even for free or like you can do you can what you can also do is I think uh, two notes uh, torpedo like wall of sound plugin is free and you actually get mm -hmm. some IRs with those and two notes cabinets are like 
one of the best out there. So you can try like disable the IR in the MX-5, record that on your computer and then play with the two notes IRs a little bit and see if like it makes a big difference. And that, that's a fairly quick test to do. And if it doesn't work, I would probably swap it and go for like a uh, Boss GT Core 1000 or maybe even a Helix unit. Because, yeah, kind of hoping or, the MX-5 will su sound good at some point. Yeah. Or yeah, you trade or. up to get an FM9. <laughs> that's a lot of, or not. a lot of money to trade up to. <laughs> I'm sure he just has like an extra thousand and something lying around. <laughs> if you do, then yes, absolutely. But... Yeah, that that's my suggestion. Again, I don't want to like, I don't want to, uh, to make uh, MX Five users feel bad or anything like that. But like, I just feel yeah. As I mentioned a thousand times already, I just feel sad because I I want to like this unit. I really yeah. want to like this unit because the like premise of it is so good, way better than most of the other modular units. But Sound is the most important thing, and if it's not right, then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. I feel that you definitely need to get yourself an MX-5 to test it, make some videos on it, see if you can disprove what we've kind of learned so far, and see if you can make it sound better than <clears throat> the rest of the demos, apart from Pete Thorne's, make it out to sound. That would be a really good challenge they, for you, I think. That's true. There's, there is actually a local dealer that I think they still have Headrush products in their catalog. I need to check that. But it could actually happen. That's a good idea. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to question number two, which, or a comment number two from Lars Forstros. Please forgive me for possibly butchering your name completely. And he commented on the RevD20. 21 year later video and asked maybe a dumb question but does it need a cap to function or does the head work on its own and kind of like Yamaha THR would and yeah basically he's making sure that you can use it without a cabinet and the answer is yes you can that's kind of the idea mine hasn't been plugged into a cabinet for a year now I'm just running the XLR out into my recording interface and it works oh so beautifully it's yeah, one of the best amps I've had just because it's so, so practical. A real tube amp, but then there's the whole two-notes torpedo thing. And yeah, I love it. Totally not a dumb question, by the way. Yeah, definitely. It's the kind of question that a lot of people ask, and until you often get a chance to try something like that you you just don't know so it's definitely not a dumb question and we've both learned stuff like that through through doing it you know yeah and exactly. there, are, there are so many amplifiers these days that kind of straddle the boundaries between the different styles so you've got something like the yamaha thr which is a modeling combo so it has built-in speakers but it kind of looks like the rev it's roughly the same size but you can also plug mm. it into the computer and you know you've got sort of hybrid slash solid state things like the Hughes and Kettner Black Spirit 200, which I use, which in the head version, you know, there's no speaker built in, the same as on the Rev. So you need to hear it in some way, but you can plug in headphones or you can plug it straight into a computer. 
And then you've got your standard tube amplifiers. And there are more and more of them these days that have built-in XLRs and attenuation, and they can take a load so you don't need a speaker. But you always have to check because if you one day make that mistake of plugging a tube amp in without a speaker, chances are you're going to blow it up. And that's never a good thing. Trust me. Yeah, and no, definitely, like, I think this is way better approach to ask the question because for the longest time, like, I've been warned that you shall not turn the amp on without the cabinet being plugged in. It will explode and so will your house or something like that. Might be slightly exaggerating, but, you know, you get the point, like, that's been the warning for the longest time and the products that allow you to go DI haven't been around that long and... For example, two notes, for example, has completely like exploded over the past few years. When I got my but, torpedo, but, but live, not in the same way as a tube amp explodes. Yes, <laughs> if you plug it in without a speaker. <laughs> yes, that, that that's a good clarification. Let's put it that way, because yes, indeed, uh, exploded like uh, no ability wise. Let's pretend no ability is a word. It, it is now. So, yeah, mm. exactly. Like when I got my torpedo live. Uh, Cap M didn't exist. Uh, cap to X didn't exist. Cap two notes. Cap to didn't exist at that point. Like Torpedo Live was almost like the that and Torpedo Studio were the only products that allowed you to plug in your like go go from the speak out of your amp into that unit and then you could record DI and yeah, it's been only a few years, so. I completely understand that not everyone like not everyone follows the gear news the way we do. So it's a very smart question. I'd rather you ask the question and not blow your amp instead of trying everything yourself and then <laughs> only then starting to ask questions like why isn't this working anymore? Why is the smoke coming out of my amp? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, well done. Thanks for the question. And moving on to the next one. Uh Louis Vasquez. A long-time friend of the channel comments on three budget-friendly drive pedals you need for your studio. And he mentions, I've been on the verge of buying the Pure Sky several times just because how good you make it sound. Oh, thank you. He's talking about me. Thank you. And I only wonder how it would stack with the TS style pedal, both in front and after for that as a solo boost. And I think I replied to him already that I have used the Pure Sky with a tube screamer. Like an Ibanez tube screamer. I don't remember what order I had them in, but it works well. Uh, the Kellan Pure Sky, I guess, goes for the sound of Timmy pedal by Paul Cochrane. So it's a very transparent overdrive, a term we like to, love to use. And a pedal type Rich absolutely loves. So you have Indeed. the original Timmy, by the way, right? I do. And I have a video have where I compare the Pure Sky and the Timmy and the MXR Timmy and the Dan Electro transparent overdrive, which is another Timmy clone. So if Lewis wants to watch that to hear the difference and to hear how the Pure Sky compares to the actual Timmy, he can do that. But I also bought the Pure Sky based on how good Vlad makes it sound. So I'm very, very happy (laughs) with it. It's much more affordable than all the other Timmy type pedals and it holds its own. And it is also really, really good as a boost as well for yeah. you know a higher gain drive pedal so if you like stacking overdrives no problem there it's very friendly with others in my experience so go yeah. for it i also use yeah i also use its eq as a tone shaping tool like many times i've ha- have actually like boosted my rev g3 with it as well 
And because the treble and bass controls on the Pure Sky are pretty powerful, I and also like G3 has like, if you want to, it can have an incredible amount of low end. I kind of shave some of that high end and low end bef like before the G3. And sometimes like you can turn the gain all the way off and then you have basically like a volume control and two EQs, like or EQ controls as well. And yeah, super versatile pedal and I get like $27 or something like that, maybe 30. Uh, I'm going to throw like a reverb.com link if someone wants to get one. It's an affiliate link. I'll get a huge 1% commission if you buy using that link. So make me What's that? rich. 27 cents? <laughs> Something like that, yes. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I recently actually got like, side note, I recently got my reverb affiliate payment for the past six months or maybe 12 months and it was like $27 which made me really really sad because 1% is not a lot well you so, know I got my reverb affiliate links back and it was $0 because I don't have one so you're $27 <laughs> richer than me Put it which that means way. I can buy another pure sky and stack two together yeah why not I don't think anyone's ever done that that's a video idea. I'll, I'll yep. write it down. All right, moving on to the next question over here. And I'm going to zoom in a bit. Don Juan. <laughs> Love the nickname. Uh, he comments on my fairly old RevJ3 in-depth demo. That's from 20, I'm say 2018, something like that. Uh, whenever the pedal came out. Uh, yeah, I got the G4. Sometimes I lay awake at night wondering if I should get, if I should have gotten the G3 instead. I have to say, though, I have dropped that effort on hard floor from standing and couldn't even find a scratch. Uh, these pedals are definitely built like tanks. I do think the price is a bit much, though. $230, $250 range. I got mine used on reverb $450. And first of all, yeah, ref pedals, uh, I think you could, you can like break a wall, uh, break your car, or like stun a bear, a polar bear that's attacking you with one of those. Just throw it at the set thing and desired result will happen. Now that I recommend that's, violence. That's another video <laughs> idea. Write that down as well. <laughs> Two pure skies and fighting off a polar bear attack. Yeah, yeah. We, which pedal stuns the polar bear the best? <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're built like tanks. Like mine doesn't have any scratches or anything like that, and the pots are still very firm and everything. Like they're built to a very, very high standard. Price-wise, uh, I think the fact that they're made in Canada is what affects the price quite a lot. To be honest, like Canada, it's like, it it means like really high production quality, but it also yeah sure means that uh, yeah it's just going to cost more, and so yeah, like, of course they work with a distribution model as well, yeah, so that ups the price really for the for the customers as well. But yeah, I mean for the quality and the sound, you know. If you want that sound, you can either buy the generator or the G20 amp for 
for a thousand mm. or for three thousand, or you can buy the G3 or the G4 and get one of those yeah. channels in pedal form and adapt any rig to that. I think the G3 is amazing. I, I've not owned the G4, although I have played it. It's a slightly different sort of a sound, but for me, the G3 pedal will turn any amplifier that I plug it into into a raging beast. You know, it will turn yeah. any clean Fender combo into something that sounds like the purple channel on the rev generator. And for that alone, it is worth the price of admission. And by the way, I also got mine used. I found, no, it was like a customer return and I got it for 120 euros as opposed to about oh, 230 nice. or something. So I got a really lucky deal on it. So I was I was good there. Yeah, I bought mine, like I actually bought mine, even though I've worked with Rev in the quite a lot over the years uh, I actually bought mine when it was announced I just wanted one because I had at that point I had tried the generator amps a little bit and I was like this is pretty much the kind of metal sound I want to have Yeah. and over these years I've had it it's proven to be extremely versatile for example the Velvet Revolver cover I released a couple of weeks ago two, three weeks ago uh, guitar sounds on that where with the G3 pedal, not anything, not like low gain overdrives, tube screamers, anything like that. It was the G3 pedal, uh, and it got me those slash tones, which is actually, you don't expect that from that pedal. It's marketed as a metal thing, <laughs> but it does a lot more. So. Yeah, that's the thing as well. They're, they're way more versatile than you give them credit for, I think, a lot of the time, because yeah. you have the three different gain settings, and the EQs. In fact, all of the controls on the rev pedals are so, so powerful that you have basically yeah. any kind of low to high gain drive sound with that pedal. I think the G3 is kind of the classic and the one that everyone regards as being the best. The G4 is mm. a bit more specialized. I don't think Don Juan made the wrong choice if he wanted the G4 at first. If that was the pedal that turned mm. him onto it, then he's bought the right thing for him. But I also have the G2, which is billed as the, you know, the green channel of the generator amps is slightly lower gain drive. And that one doesn't sing for me in the same way that the G3 does, even though mm. normally I'm more of a lower game player. I just can't dial that one in the way I want because I think it's a little bit too modern sounding for what I like to do, but it's still a super versatile pedal and I can use it for so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the price thing, I understand 230 to $50. It's a lot of money. And like, for I I can see how it's uh it feels too much for just like one pedal. Though yeah. as we just mentioned, uh in in this case I kind of feel it's justified both build quality wise but also like the versatility wise because it can kind of replace several of your pedals. If you think of it that way, then it's actually not that bad. Plus the resale value if you ever need to like quickly get some cash for something like. Those pedals will fly off the shelves right away. Like if you if you put them on the used market, you'll get calls and text messages right away. Get one. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, he bought his for 150 from Reverb. He'd have no problem yeah. selling it like that from Reverb for the same price. So he's yeah. not going to lose any money there. Yeah, they're great yeah, pedals. No. And just about the price, I think you generally see the Rev pedals new in Europe for about 230 euros from stores. And yeah, that's that's a lot of money, but it's kind of industry standard for North American built boutique -y sort of mm. pedals. You know, a lot of the JHS pedals 
are a similar price. A lot of the Wampler pedals are the same price. So, you know, that's just the state of the market nowadays, unfortunately. I mean, mm. it's a lot of money just to buy one little box for your hobby, but there we go. That That's just the way it is. Yep. But yeah, thanks for the comment. I think this was an interesting angle to like on these pedals and yeah let us know do you think uh, $250 is too much for a drive pedal or does it depend on what kind of pedal we're talking about let us know and maybe we'll discuss this more in the next episode as well and yeah before we wrap up there's something really fun and interesting in the weekend watch and we are going to dive in there right now Watch it! Watch it! Watch it! Watch it! Watch it! Watch it! Video! It's not like we have anything else to do. Yeah, let's click that button and then also fix this. This week's weekend watch is called These Rhythms Are dot 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 Out of This World. And this is funny because Sean Crowder, who is by the way a drummer for Adam Neely's uh, Sungazer Band, uh, on his own channel, he breaks down the rhythms of the new Dream Theater single called Alien. And I gotta say, this video both kind of broke, like made my head hurt, and also like made me appreciate the band a lot because the amount of like math that goes into creating these songs is incredible. Like. I have no idea how to play like uh, something like 17 to 16 or that kind of division or anything like that. It it just makes my brain hurt even trying to think of that. Yet that music seems like, sounds like it still flows. I think that made me appreciate Dream Theater a bit more, to be honest. It's a very interesting video and... You can see a lot of very upset mathematicians in the comments as well saying, you know, this made me question myself as a mathematician. But yeah, just the bits that you're showing now, the the intro part of the song, it's like 17 beats that they're counting to. They're going five, five, seven in the measures. And yeah. it's incredible musicianship. And Sean Crowder does a very, very good job at explaining it kind of to real world musicians because I personally would have never understood what was going on even during the intro Same. few bars of that song until he explains it and he goes on to play it masterfully as well so definitely a very very good video to watch I don't think I'll ever be able to play any kind of music like that at all <laughs> nor would I probably want to but it's yeah. very very good to know about it and to to learn stuff outside of your comfort zone that's for sure yeah that's the thing. I also like. It also made me wonder, like, when these people are composing this kind of music, do they like actually think of like time signatures or anything like that, or is it, like do they go by feel? Like, oh, this feels cool, and let's add like an extra beat here, and then only then they kind of map it out. Okay, what's actually going on here? Uh, like, that's I, I reckon I'd they love to know. I reckon they go into the studio and they do ACDC jams with everything in four four. And then they lay down a song and then they're like, okay, let's dream theaterize this song. And it's like, <laughs> let's start by making every 4-4 four, four rhythm 5-4. And then they just go from there and it turns into whatever it turns yeah. into. It, At least it, that's, it that's how well I would be. imagine it in my head. Because otherwise, yeah. how do you come up with stuff like that in a band context? 
I mean, surely one of the guys has to come in and say, yeah, I've got this amazing riff with 17 beats to it. And then the others have to go, okay, I need to work out how to play that riff. Yeah. So they are, it's also like they are all incredibly highly trained musicians. Yeah. That have been doing it for 30 years. So like, I guess that's kind of like a, an instinct already. Like you, you hear a beat and you can go, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of beat. I'm going to play this to the beat you came up with. But yeah, mapping that yeah, out, I'm, like, uh, it's I'm sure difficult. that they can do it on the fly. The only thing that I sometimes get when listening to bands like this, and I've started to listen to the Dream Theater playlist that you've made for me. Is I was about to ask feel, about that. <laughs> is that often <laughs> I find that they're doing things differently and doing weird time signatures because they can, and just for the sake of it. Yeah. And sometimes I don't feel like it adds to the song because I probably have a very different perspective on what makes a good song compared to what they do. You know, that's just sure. a taste thing. It's not saying this is bad or, and this is good. It's just different taste. But yeah, sometimes I'm just thinking, why choose those 17 beats for that intro? Why make it so hard for yourselves? I don't know. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but also uh, actually, like, uh, not that you mentioned, like, I, cr- I created Rich a playlist of, like, I think I called it, like, Dream Theater Essentials or something, where I just picked some of my favorite songs there. Mm-hmm. But, and especially on the, f- like, few first albums, and there was, like, two or th- maybe, like, three songs from Images and Words, which is the second album, and the, I'm g- I kind of want to say it's the first real album. And uh, especially, like, that was what 92 or something like that like those um like all the like key changes and time signature changes are kind of really really apparent because i think at that time it was just really cool to be able to do anything like that kind of stuff like make it very very apparent that you are like switching to a completely different thing yeah and yeah S- some people still like it a lot uh, though I've like with new artists that do that for example um, Pliny who does like instrumental music like those are a bit more subtle sometimes and then mm-hmm. I don't know maybe it's also a part of the genre like go from one extreme to another one so I've been listening to this kind of music for too long that I don't pay as much it doesn't feel like that weird to me anymore i guess and maybe if you listen to the dream theater playlist and then you'll dive into some other prog type of thing you'll get used to it and it doesn't feel that weird anymore i'm I, like I, I can't view any of this from like a neutral perspective anymore so yeah <laughs> yeah it's a strange thing but because i, I, I don't also... get what you're saying yeah i mean i also like certain kinds of progressive music for example i've mentioned it many times but captain beefheart is one of my favorite artists ever yeah. and if you listen to trout mask replica just start the first 30 seconds of the first song Frownland, and you'll just hear what sounds like five different musicians playing five different songs in five different tempos and keys at the same time and that is kind of almost what it is in some respects but yeah. then to hear it get broken down and to really kind of latch into what each guitar player is doing and what the bass and drums are doing and what the vocals are doing, it becomes this musical coherent piece. And that's what Mm. Dream Theater does as well. But I think it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of concentration to get into it. 
And sometimes yeah, I wonder definitely. when you see things broken down like this, does it take away some of the mystery? And does it take away some of the kind of coolness from it? I don't know. Because it's kind of like, uh, you know, the secret formula and it becomes a thing that <laughs> you could do as well. It's like I could now come up with a, a 17 beat riff, program a drum loop to do that. And I could have a thing that sounded a bit like the first few seconds of Dream Theater. Yeah, I mean, it would be a rubbish version, know. of course, but th- does it take away from the mystique? Maybe that's something to discuss in a, in a future episode with someone yeah. who makes music like this. Yeah, that, that'd be cool because for me, I feel that it almost just adds the appreciation of this, like, the craftsmanship. Because yeah. like, not, not only are you able to do a song that has, like, even if this is the first time you're listening to anything like progressive, there's still, like, things that are kind of understandable right away. And then there's everything else happening underneath that. Like, all these time signatures and stuff. Yeah, I know totally it, it what you mean, and I think I agree with that to some extent, but to put it to a slightly different analogy, some of it is maybe for me a bit like discovering how a magician does a trick. <laughs> like he's true. got a certain card trick or it's a street musician and he does this thing where he'll come up and shake your hand or something and then your watch is gone. And you're like, how the hell did he do that? And now yeah. in the days of YouTube, you've got people who show you exactly how things like that get done. And I deliberately try not to watch that stuff because I want to be taken in by the the magic and the mystique of it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm kind of uh, those one of those people who actually like, if somebody shows me how it's done, I kind of almost appreciate it even more because like I, I can still like enjoy the skill of being able to trick me by like, getting my watch somehow yeah so yeah but yeah i I definitely get what you're saying as well so (laughs) so so sounds like a topic to discuss at some point in the future yeah definitely i i think we need to find some kind of very progressive very technically astute player who plays music like this and ask them about you know their journey into it how they got into it how they learn stuff how they come up with riffs in a band context on their own and whether they think what they're doing is magic and they should reveal their tricks or not. (laughs) I'd be very interested to learn that. I don't know who we should get on. I'm struggling to think off the top of my head of someone who we could ask, but we'll find somebody. Yeah, we will. Maybe Dream Theater. Oh, that'd be cool. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind at all. (laughs) So, But yeah, that wraps up this week's Cat Pick Fridays, which was episode 27. Yes, that's that. Uh, a great way to support what you do is to get merch or use the affiliate links or get the Get Songs Done songwriting course. Links to everything in the description. And also there's a special discount of code for the songwriting course. Uh, Again, links to all the articles, videos, everything in the description as well. And if you're new here and enjoyed what we do, please consider hitting the subscribe button. Give us a like, leave us a comment or question or both. And thank you, Rich, for joining me once again. And as we do here in the Catpick land, that's just a second, going to unclick that button. Or no, I just messed it up. This is high quality. Bye, podcast. Bye, podcast.